ESPN Sports Radio 1392.5. Now for something completely different. We're going to bring, bring, bring it all together. Because that's the bottom line. Bottom line. ESPN Radio 1,392.5. It's the bottom line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. We thank you so much for joining us on this Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning. So if you're celebrating Easter on this Sunday, all the very best to you on this blessed day. Miss Judy, please take your meds and keep hustling for me today, or there will be no eggs in your Easter basket today. Just Matlock reruns and Murder, She Wrote reruns. We all know how you love those. 859-381-1313. If you'd like to call in and join in on the conversation, you can call. You can email the show anytime. BottomlineLex at gmail.com. And, of course, you can always follow us on Twitter at BottomlineLex. On today's show, our old friend, Jeff Drummond, we've known for a long time, probably longer than we'd care to admit, But he'll join us to talk about all things college basketball, UK football, Reds baseball, and I'll make sure he gets cut off immediately if he starts telling any stories from our childhood that might get me in trouble. We'll also talk the national championship game tomorrow night, Monday night. The Reds and Cardinals, back in old form, if you know what I mean. And of course, our Mac Daddy Stogie picks, the most profitable segment in Lexington Radio. All this and much, much more on this week's Sunday edition of the fastest-growing sports talk show at Lexington. But first, zero. Usually at this point in the show, I have to explain some random and obscure reference that's either decades old or nobody's familiar with or both. But everybody knows a zero. Everybody knows the zero. When I was a kid, I was watching wrestling. Jerry the King Lawler told me that superstar Bill Dundee and Dirty Dutch Mantel were the biggest nothings since the invention of the zero. I started using that line on people. It didn't go over nearly as well. But we all know that zero means nothing. And as a culture, we are enamored by the zero. The perfect season. Going undefeated. Having that record that says dash zero on it. Running through a season without a loss. How many times have you heard over the years, the last undefeated team in college basketball, the 1976 Indiana Hoosiers? How many times have you heard them referenced? Heck, how many times have you heard them referenced just this week? We remember to put undefeated teams on pedestals because it says dash zero on their record. Was that Indiana team the greatest of all time? Probably not. There was no shot clock in 1976. There was no three-point line. They wore really tight, short shorts. Although it seems to me that the college basketball players, they're getting away from those longer shorts from uh, you know recent years. They're going back to shorter shorts, like the old John Stockton extra-medium shorts from back in the day. But I'm no fashionista. Nobody remembers all the players from that 1976 Indiana Hoosiers team, but three of them were drafted in the first 11 picks of the next NBA draft, and another was the number one overall pick in the 1977 NBA draft. But we all remember who coached that team, Bobby Knight. All those guys from that undefeated team, they were all busts in the NBA, considering where they were drafted especially. So why were they drafted so highly in the first place? We're all enamored by the zero. 
What's the most memorable Kentucky basketball team in the Calipari era? No, don't say this past season. Well, it's memorable, but for all the wrong reasons. Not the best team, the most memorable team. Is it the first team with Wall and Cousins and Bledsoe? It's up there. Is it the national championship team with Anthony Davis? It's up there. What about that Final Four team in 2011 that nobody expected? Or the 2014 team that played for the championship after themselves taking down an undefeated Wichita State team in the tournament? No, but that's a close one. The most memorable team is the 2015 team that won 38 games in a row and was 38-0 and going into the Final Four. All the Big Blue Nation remembers that season and how they boat raced so many teams that year. Although they didn't win a championship, why is that team the most memorable? Because they had the zero at the end of their record for the longest time. Teasing the Big Blue Nation of a perfect season. We're enamored with the zero. Do you think we not do you not think we worship these teams that go undefeated with perfect seasons? More than just a national championship. On ESPN.com this week, they had a cover story on the front page of their website detailing the 1991 UNLV running Rebels basketball team. That's 30 years ago. That team was undefeated all season until it lost in the Final Four to Duke. In a legendary game that lives on for many reasons. People don't give Duke enough credit, but Duke's roster actually had more NBA players and more NBA talent than UNLV's did. And of course, was the game fixed? Don't get me started on that one. Because I've got some facts to say it might have been. And more than just a picture of the team in a hot tub with a convicted game fixer. Somebody might want to check Greg Anthony's bank accounts. That's another story for another day. But very few people remember that when Duke defeated UNLV in 1991, that wasn't the championship game. It was the semifinal. And fewer people remember who Duke defeated in that championship game two nights later. It was Kansas. Why is that? Because in most people's minds, the championship was won when Duke defeated UNLV. We are enamored by the zero. And that's the standard in a few sports. Obviously, you can't go undefeated in baseball, but people remember sweeps in postseason series. Your Cincinnati Reds, we're the voice of the Reds here at ESPN Radio. They last won the World Series in 1990. What's remembered most about that season? The Nasty Boys, the bullpen? Eh, maybe. The fact that they were in first place every day for the entire season? Or wire to wire? Or as my people say it, war to war? No. It's that they swept the mighty Oakland A's in the World Series. Swept them four straight. Which is impossible because I lost a ton of RBI baseball games on Nintendo because I couldn't get out the speedy Ricky Henderson. And it was impossible to hit Dennis Eckersley in his sidearm junk late innings. But I digress. Of course, the guys I played against in that game, they would refuse to play with anybody else other than the Oakland A's, just like they would refuse to play Tech Mobile without Bo Jackson. But that's another story for another day. But even in baseball sweeps in the World Series, we're enamored by the zero. The zero, the perfect season in the NFL, the 1972 Miami Dolphins. They would be just another Super Bowl champion had they gone 16-1. and but they went 17-0. Were the Dolphins the best team ever? Probably not. The game was so much different back then. The Dolphins completed eight passes in that Super Bowl when they finished undefeated. 
Do you honestly think a team can win a Super Bowl today completing eight passes in a game? You think that was bad? The next season, Miami won the Super Bowl again. They went 15-2 that season. and They're never talked about as even being close to being the best team in history. Why? They lost two games along the way. It says 15-2. It doesn't say 17-0. By the way, in that Super Bowl when they went 15-2, they only completed six passes in that game. So it's two Super Bowls in the 70s when Miami was considered the greatest team of all time. They completed a total of 14 passes combined in those two Super Bowl wins. Most teams complete 14 passes in one half of games these days. But anytime you see a list of the NFL's greatest teams ever, the 1972 Dolphins always top the list. Are they the best team? I don't think so. Could they compete today? Not even close playing the way they played. The game has changed too much. Yet to this day, every season, when the NFL, the last NFL team, loses their first game of the season, all those Miami Dolphins who are still around, they get the bottle of champagne and they toast themselves for still being the only undefeated team in NFL history. We are enamored with the zero. What is considered one of the best Super Bowls in the history of the game? When the Patriots... Lost to the Giants the year the Patriots were 18-0. They were going for an undefeated season. It's one of the most high, it was the highest rated Super Bowl up to that point and still was for another five years after that. You could say big city markets, Boston and New York. You can say what you want. But the reason why it took years to replace that game as the highest rated Super Bowl is because we're enamored with the zero. Equate that to today. And Gonzaga basketball on the doorstep of history after a dramatic overtime win against UCLA last night in a game being compared to a game all of you remember, the Kentucky-Duke game, the Kristen Leitner game from 1992. Has that really been 29 years? Anyway, would it be a great game if Gonzaga had lost a game during the regular season? Yeah, it would still be a great game, but it wouldn't have the lasting power in terms of talking heads waxing poetic about it Going forward, as you'll hear all day today, and if Gonzaga finishes the drill tomorrow night and defeats Baylor for the national championship, you'll never hear the end of it. But why will you be watching the national championship game on Monday night or listening to it here on ESPN Radio 1300 and 92.5? Will you be paying attention because you have a financial investment in the game? Possibly. You got a ticket in the desert on it? Does your bracket pool depend on it? Fair enough. But a fringe fan, the old Marge from accounting that I always refer to, what does it? What does she know? What does the fringe fan know about Gonzaga? They don't even know where Gonzaga is. But what they do know is they're undefeated. Why else would a fringe fan tune into a college basketball game they had no financial interest in? Because Gonzaga's going for a perfect season. Nobody's going to tune in to see Baylor. Nobody. Or to see if a mid-major David can take down a high and mighty Power 5 Goliath. We will tune in tomorrow night as a culture because we are enamored with the zero. And that's the bottom line. ESPN Radio 1300 92.5. The bottom line with Brad Taylor presented by Stable Duel. Hey, the Reds won their first game yesterday in the regular season. Uh, Tyler Malley 
as in 10-run rally, a guy we don't have a lot of faith in. He actually pitched well yesterday, two earned runs in five innings, nine strikeouts. By the way, we're entering an age now where five innings pitched from your starting pitcher is actually a good outing. It wasn't like when I was a kid. Back in 1983, Mario Soto, you remember him? He pitched 18 complete games for the Reds. 18 complete games. And by the age of 31, his arm was dead. He was out of Major League Baseball. He was 31 and he was finished. But that wasn't his fault. It was Pete Rose's fault. Pete Rose ruined Mario Soto. In Pete Rose's first full season as Reds manager in 1985, he ran Soto to the mound on three days rest 19 times out of his 36 starts. 19 times! Do you know how many times another pitcher in all of Major League Baseball pitched on three days rest in 1985? 17. So a pitcher going on three days rest happened 36 times in the entire league that season, and Mario Soto was the culprit 19 of those 36. Amazing. There's no way this was Pete um, doing anything other than just betting on him every night. No, that's not possible at all, is it? Well, maybe it is. If a manager threw a pitcher out there every four days like that today, he'd be put in jail. I'm not kidding. He'd be out of baseball in no time. And they didn't have pitch counts back then either. You you couldn't just look on the scoreboard and see with that magic number, oh, when my pitcher gets to 100, i got to take him out. No. I guarantee you Mario Soto went over 125, 130 pitches easily every single game, especially those double-digit complete game seasons he threw up. But, of course, this came after Pete Rose took over the Reds late in 1984 and pushed Mario Soto onto the mound for a season finale against the Padres when the Reds were 22 games out of first place on three days rest. You don't think Pete might have had a little extra on that last game of the season? It was the last game, so he needed to get all his chips while he could. That's a topic of conversation for another day. But a marathon five-inning outing, for Tyler Malley, for the first Reds win of the season yesterday, the Reds lit up old man Adam Wainwright, who looked like a pitcher who's finished, but somehow, some way, Adam Wainwright will be 12-8 and by the end of the season and pitching for a playoff team. That's just who he is. That's just who the Cardinals are. Today, a Great America Ballpark, a game that can be heard right here on ESPN Radio 1300 at 92.5. At 12.40, it's the rubber game of the three-game series between the Reds and the Cardinals. Talk about a pitching matchup with tons of question marks. Carlos Martinez for St. Louis. Jeff Hoffman for the Reds. Martinez, 29 years old for the Cardinals. Seems like he's been around a lot longer. He's a two-time All-Star, but he's been hurt basically for three years now. He went from All-Star starter to mediocre closer to guy who started five games last year and only survived 20 innings with a 9.9 ERA. But history's on Martinez inside. When the Cardinals, uh, when Martinez pitches for the Cardinals, 123 career starts, the Cardinals are 72 and 51 in those starts. And if you put blindly $1 every time Martinez takes the mound for the Cardinals over the years as a starting pitcher, you've made $4.68, a return of investment of 3.8%. It's not bad. But what Martinez are we going to get today? The All Star from 2015 and 2017? Or the sore-armed salad tosser from 2020 COVID? We'll find out today, but it's something I'm not interested in investing in without knowing what to expect. Starting for the Reds today is somebody named Jeff Hoffman, former Colorado Rocky. The Reds have to be thrilled to be throwing this guy in the third game of the regular season, just as they planned it, I'm sure, back in the winter. 
Career record for Jeff Hoffman, 10 and 16 with a 6.40 ERA. Sheesh, I know it's the thin air of Coors Field, but his ERA plus, which is adjusted for each team's home park, is 79, or an average pitcher is 100. That's not good. Coors or no Coors. It is 38 career starts for the Rockies. Hoffman didn't make you any money in the desert either. Colorado went 16 and 22 in Hoffman's starts. And if you blindly bet a dollar on him every time you started for Colorado, you'd be down $3.37. Negative 8.9 return on investment. Yuck. But people today are talking about the little brawl they had yesterday. Nick Castellanos, Yadier Molina, having a few words yesterday. Sorry, Reds fans. I think this is uh, Castellanos to blame on this one. He didn't have to get up and do his little Hulk Hogan impression after he scored a run. Yes, he got beaned earlier in the inning. Yes, he, he was thrown at. Okay, that's part of baseball, though. And Molina was just protecting his pitcher there. Yeah, he was. So I blame it on the Reds, but it's a good thing for the Reds because if you watched this team last year, they showed absolutely no life. So maybe, just maybe, between him and... And the rookie, Jonathan India, who's been very impressive so far, maybe they've got a little chutzpah this year. Maybe they've got a little far in them, if you know what I mean. And who cares if Cassiano starts fights or not? Can he hit 30 home runs this year? Yeah, maybe. Can Eugenio Suarez, can he get comeback player of the year? Can he hit 40 home runs? Quite possibly. He was terrible last year. He seems to be back in good form today. We talked about Jonathan India, the rookie, four for seven so far. Where have they been hiding this guy? Why don't they uh, put him with Nick Senzel? Oh, yeah, he's hurt again. Wait a minute. He's always hurt. And our good friend Joey Votto, which I hate to say because I'm one I'm one of the few people around here that thinks he's a Hall of Famer. Not only that, maybe he should be considered first ballot Hall of Famer. But at 37 years old, it might be time to put him in the back of the convertible, drive him around the ballpark, let him wave to the fans, and then keep driving down to Florida and drop him off. Because it looks like it's done for Joey Votto. But a one-and-one start for the Reds. And the desert says this team will win 81-and-a-half games this year. So, right on schedule. As for today's game, game is a toss-up in the desert. And rightly so. Cardinals a very slight favorite, as we're talking here right now. Who knows which Carlos Martinez, which one of him shows up. Who knows what Jeff Hoffman has outside of Coors Field. Who knows? This is not a game you should probably put the kids' college fund on. But we'll have more about this later. Coming up after the break, of course, the most profitable segment in Lexington Sports. It's our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks. But first, make sure to check out our good friends at Stable Duel. I have uh, entered their little uh, contest on their app the last couple days. Uh, been, was very successful Friday. Yesterday, eh, not too bad. But our guest we had, Brian Howard, gave us two really good picks yesterday. So I uh, encourage you to listen to him coming up next weekend when he gives his expert picks about Stable Duel. Make sure to download their app today, StableDuel.com. ESPN Radio 92.5 and 1300. I said it in the wrong order that time. 1300 and 92.5. Does it matter? I guess not. The Bottom Line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful Easter Sunday morning. As everybody knows by now, Gonzaga beat UCLA last night on a buzzer-beating three-pointer uh, to advance to the final game against Baylor, who uh, routed my beloved Houston Cougars. Well, beloved no more. They just ruined my bracket. Uh, Gonzaga and Baylor will now get to the championship game. Final four is over. Now we get to the final game of this long COVID-ridden season. Yesterday, the favorites, both of them uh, 
won, but they were one and one against the spread. Of course, Baylor covered. UCLA covered that big number against Gonzaga. We're glad we got that one to mop up that Houston mess. Of course, the overs went. Both of them went over yesterday. Perfect two and zero. Up until yesterday, the unders had dominated March, cashing at about sixty percent. Right now, Gonzaga four and a half point favorites where they opened and uh, the championship game. If you want to money line it, Gonzaga's minus two ten. Baylor plus one eighty. Total one sixty. Betters have gone just five and ten against the spread in the last. 15 championship games. In other words, fade the public in this one. We have a good idea. If you listen to our opening monologue, this enamorization of the zero. We have a good feeling that a lot of people will be on this game and on Gonzaga. But, of course, Monday night, tomorrow night, the national championship game, which could be heard here on the ESPN Radio 1392.5. Gonzaga and Baylor, we talked about it two months ago. We discussed a prop out in the desert where you could actually take Gonzaga and Baylor against the entire field. Well, if you did, you can go ahead and cash that ticket no matter what happens tomorrow night. Gonzaga, as we said, four-and-a-half-point favorite. This game is nothing more than just defying the media narrative. Because all you're going to hear today, people are going to say, oh, Baylor won, but oh, that Gonzaga game. Oh, and everybody's going to fall in love with Gonzaga because it says dash zero on their record. Everybody knows Gonzaga going for history. But to be honest, how many players can you name on Baylor? It's tough. We haven't watched Baylor. Yes, they're a Power 5 team, but they're in the Big 12. They had some COVID issues. We don't really know a whole lot about Baylor. We saw more of Gonzaga this season than Baylor. If that's possible, we can. Let's go to the analytics. Ken Palm says Gonzaga wins 85-81. Jeff Sagarin says Gonzaga by two. ESPN BPI says Gonzaga by one. So although the eye test and our infatuation with the zero at the end of the Gonzaga record says Gonzaga wins and covers, the numbers and the analytics say Baylor isn't exactly a walkover. Baylor's a very good team, too. And Baylor coming off humiliating our beloved Houston Cougars? We'll take Baylor to cover this four and a half. We'll take Baylor in the points. That's our Mac Daddy Stogie for the week. Baylor covering the four and a half of the national championship game. I'm not going to sit here and say we don't want the points. We don't need the points. We'll take the points. We'll take four and a half, and we'll feel pretty good about ourselves knowing that Gonzaga might be a little bit overrated in the public's view because of the zero. Coming up after the break, our good friend Jeff Drummond from way back when. We're going to talk about all things Kentucky sports and the Reds and whatever other stories he has that can get me in trouble. That's right after the break, right here on ESPN Radio 1300 and 92.5. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. It's the bottom line with Brad Taylor here on ESPN Radio, brought to you by Stable Duel. Our next guest is a man who needs no introduction. Uh, at Madison Central High School from back in the day. Here's our good friend we've known for a long time, the managing editor and photographer for Cats Illustrated of the Rivals Network. He's our old friend, Jeff Drummond. Jeff, how are you today, my friend? I'm doing all right, Brad. How about you? I'm doing well. I, we appreciate you joining us. Just no old stories from the past to get me in trouble. So let's just uh, keep those to a minimum because I know you've got information on me. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> Uh, that game last night, let's start with that. Uh, recency bias. When we see something, it's always the best thing of all time. You know, the, the things we see, the latest things, is always it's always, you know, the best ever. We forget about what happened in the past. That Gonzaga-UCLA game last night, everybody comparing it now to Kentucky-Duke from 1982. Your thoughts on that, and why isn't there more of an outrage for the Big Blue Nation that Johnny Juzang looks like an All-American in this tournament, and he could have been here in Lexington last year? <laughs> well, 
you, you know, I think you do make a good point about the recency bias. We all kind of fall prey to that at times, but that was an excellent game. I mean, uh, if you look in the last um, probably 10 years or so, that, that's up there. It's got to be in the discussion for one of the better, you know, March Madness games uh, that we've seen. And I think we've kind of been lulled into um, kind of a feeling when it comes to college basketball, the, the skill level and, and the, the shooting ability and the point totals have, have been on a steady decline in, in recent years. And the C2 teams go out there and just kind of slug it out. Both of them reached, you know, 90, 90 plus points. It was kind of, uh, uh, a relief <laughs> to see something like that, at least for me, you know, I, we've, we've had to sit through so many 54 fifties and, and that kind of thing where nobody could throw the thing in the ocean, uh, to see something like that was, was pretty eye opening. Uh, even if it didn't have the, the dramatic shot at the end. So you don't think that, uh, the game has changed all that much. You know, you talk about the 54 50 games and how the, but you look at teams now, it's you know, threes or layups. That's basically what a lot of teams now in college basketball, that's what they're going to. Look at the Alabamas of the world. But look, a team like Kentucky, they don't think that way. Is that where you think the game's going, though, what you saw last night? Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of inevitable. There's already some hints that, that John Calipari is, is starting to think that way a little bit, especially with adding the, uh, uh, the grad transfer, Kellen uh, Grady from uh, – uh, Davidson, you know, is kind of an indication of, of, of what he's thinking with that, in, in my opinion. A lot of people think that um, when you combine that with the fact that late in the season he was kind of having his team even jack up a lot more threes than you typically see uh, from one of his team's take. I think he's come to the realization that that's, that's kind of the future of the game. You mentioned Kellen Grady. I was going to get to him. Based on what you see coming into this team next year, and you're the recruiting expert. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Do you think this kid is the leading scorer on this team next year based on the numbers he's put up at Davidson the last few years, which have been out through the roof? Well, it's always hard to say when, when you've got a guy coming from, you know, one of the smaller – I hate to call him a mid-major because, right. you know, that that's kind of – it's deemed as kind of a derogatory term in, in some cases. But it's, it's not quite like Kentucky, and even the kid acknowledged uh, when he – talked to us about joining a program that he was looking for to be on a bigger stage and to be in a, you know, a bigger program. So we've got to see how he handles that. But I think he has proven over the course of four years that he can put the ball in the hole. You know, he's averaged over 17 points uh, each season. Now, whether he can do that when he's surrounded by uh, other talent and and, and fit into the, the team concept and that, type of thing remains to be seen, but I haven't seen anybody else, you know, coming into the program that they've got uh, commitments from or, or an existing player they have now uh, that probably has better scoring ability than he does. ESPN Radio 1300 92.5, the bottom line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel and our good friend Jeff Drummond from Rivals. Uh, we checked out Rivals this morning, and Kentucky has the uh, – Third best recruiting class in America for basketball coming in. There's a shocker. And, of course, now there's the recruiting industry, so to speak, where the transfer portal is now as important, if not more important, than recruiting incoming freshmen. Heck, Roy Williams this week, he retired this week, basically admitting, although he won a national championship four years ago, the game has passed him by. 
Are we approaching a time where roster management in college basketball is entering that wild, wild west mentality where you should expect the unexpected? Yeah, I think we've kind of come to that point. It's going to be interesting to see if there's kind of some backlash to it or do they have to reconsider some things because, you know, everybody has kind of complained about one and done uh, for several years, yep. and now they're getting even more of it just in a different way um, with, with this. And, uh, you know, as we, we see more and more people enter that portal than I think was ever expected, uh, perhaps they should have expected this. I don't know. Maybe that was a mistake on <laughs> the powers that be fault. Um, it it could get to be a little chippy, I think, at, at times, especially when you see, like, conference members uh, poaching each other's uh, better players. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see where that goes. The SEC has, has still got the rule out uh, where I, I say rule. It's not as much a rule as um, – Kind of some guidance from the league that they don't they don't want that happening. You know, it has happened before, but they discourage it. Um, I think because they don't want that that bad blood uh, between the teams, and they've still got to get it um, approved to where it can be immediate um, in within the conference, um, and they'll have to vote on that to get that changed. But if you had a kid say at, at LSU that wanted to come to Kentucky. As it stands, he'd still have to sit out unless they change that. Right. I look at a guy like Dante Allen, Kentucky kid. Calipari defiantly refused to play him a lot last year, which did not make the Big Blue Nation very happy at all. Does this hurt Calipari recruiting these Kentucky kids going forward? Like, oh, I don't know, Reed Shepard maybe? Because I don't think it does as these Kentucky kids will gladly come to the big city of Lexington and sit on the bench and be a hometown hero as long as it says Kentucky on the front of their jersey. I think it, that, that depends on the kid and and, and, the, and his stature. You know, Reed Shepard shaping up uh, to, to possibly have an opportunity to go anywhere he wants. I, I think there's still a lot to be seen there uh, as, as far as his, his ceiling is concerned. As impressive as he's been already, it's still kind of raw potential. At this point, um, but um, that's an interesting uh, test case <laughs> because you, yeah. you've got the, the son of two former Kentucky stars uh, playing in southeastern Kentucky, which you know should be an automatic. That's right. But I'll ask. I'll like ask yeah, I'll ask you right now: If Kentucky offers Reed Shepard, does he come to Lexington? I think it's fifty-fifty right okay. now. You know, I really yeah. do, and, and granted, I will admittedly. I don't know the kid at all right. at, at this point. I I have never done an interview with him. Uh, that thing, there's still so much time uh, left there to, to, to get into that. Um, but I think, based on everything I've heard, that he's not a guy that's just automatically dialed into saying, I'm going to Kentucky if they offer. Good, good. He's going he's gonna to consider a lot of things. I think Jeff Shepard will play a big uh, part in that decision making process too, because nobody knows you know better than him what what it's like being under that microscope at UK. I agree with that part. But are we going to sit here? This is the last Kentucky basketball question. Are we going to sit here in November and see Kentucky ranked in the top ten again, and the Big Blue Nation expectations are going to be through the roof yet again? Because I think it's going to be just lather, rinse, repeat, and it's going to be the same as ever come November, as if this past season never happened. What do you think about that? It probably will be, and <laughs> you know that 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 seems to be par for the course when it when it comes to Perry. And if, if he adds 
two or three uh, uh, talented grad transfer portal type guys to to the class he's already got, you know, which has an outstanding big man of Damian Collins, and you've got Oscar Shipway uh, coming in from West Virginia, who, who kind of gets lost in the shuffle. People have almost forgotten a little bit about him with all this uh, portal madness going on. It's like you've already got a pretty daggone good transfer uh, coming in, and, and that guy, if they can add, um, you know, one more, two more guys uh, to that group, you're looking at a, at a definite top ten. Uh, type of preseason team. Now we've we've seen in the past that doesn't always <laughs> amount right. to, to anything until you get them all together and see how they play well. Because the this team that he constructed for this season had a lot of star potential as far as recruiting rankings go. But man, it, the parts didn't fit, and, and two or three of the guys didn't didn't perform to to expectation, and it led to disaster. Last college basketball question for you. Let's say you and I are out in the desert and we're standing in the sports book. Lord knows how we got out there, the stories we can tell, but that's, we're standing out there somehow, some way. And this line for tomorrow night's game, Gonzaga four and a half point favorite over Baylor. Who you got? Well, I think I'm going to have to go with Gonzaga. And, and I think they survived that one, that near miss game mm-hmm. that, that a lot of champions have uh, last night. I think they proved that. My my big question about them was how are they going to react when they're in a tight, like a one possession game? Right, because they hadn't been in one in forever, if if at all. I mean, I know the West Virginia game was was kind of close ish for them, but I, I don't think it came down to to a final possession. Um, but they they answered the call and they 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 looked the part. And part of me also thinks that that Baylor, while I I believe they're talented enough to give them a game, I think Baylor may have. I don't want to say wasted because you, they needed to win that game to advance, but they may have used their best game in the semifinals. Gotcha. And uh, I think I think they needed their best game to beat Gonzaga. So I'm, I'm going to go out and say I think Gonzaga wins this by 10. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Jeff Drummond says Gonzaga by 10. We'll fade you on that one. We'll put a bucket of pride on that one, Drummond. Uh, let's go to football for a minute. You've been covering the spring football practice. And uh, I know football – you know, geez, it's five months away. But I have one question and one question only. Do they have a viable quarterback for the coming season? Because that's the one thing they haven't had for a while. And whoever starts the season for them this year, that's going to be an unproven commodity anyway. They will. You, it's fair to say that it, it's unproven. But I, I've got it on pretty strong authority that they're going to have a guy that, that's going to be in there and be, you know, an acceptable uh, serviceable, it may be a game manager type guy in there, but it's oh, going to be no. a much better, the a much old better game manager. Oh, that's code for something. <laughs> that's we don't we do not like to hear the term game manager when it comes to a quarterback. Yeah. Okay, Drummond, since you got the inside info, who is this quarterback going to be? Your opinion? I I think it's a toss up. To be honest, and I don't I don't mean to wiggle out of that. No, <laughs> you're doing small, a good job though. I'll give you credit. You, <laughs> You can make a good case for, for any of the three. And there's a lot of hints right now, if you read between the lines and talking to a lot of people, that Will Nevis, the Penn State transfer, is is going to factor into that big time. I, I think uh, Liam Cohen, the new offensive coordinator, really likes that kid. He recu- recruited him you know, initially out of high school. He's got more of a relationship already with him uh, than the other guys. 
So if I had to give someone the edge, it would probably be him based on the experience and, and, and that relationship. But you, you talk to other people and they think, you know, Bo Allen might be the most gifted guy of, of the bunch and have the most raw talent. And, you know, having seen him play up close and personal, I, I would agree with that from a throwing perspective. Uh, and then, you know, Joey Gatewood is still kind of the uh, the wild card in, in the whole mix. He gives you that that element of the dual threat that all the college coaches <laughs> seem to really like these days. If he has gotten his game uh, polished a little bit in terms of throwing accuracy, um, you can make a strong case for him, too, because the, you know, the physical presence is definitely there. Jamin Davis, first-round draft pick. If so, how did this happen? <laughs> I didn't it's see a, it coming. It's a great, it's a great story. Yeah, you, you know, uh, people around the program have, have felt that was a possibility for a while, just based on that kid's uh, measurables and physicality. And he's so sharp, really smart kid. Um, but you know, that's a kind of a self-made story <laughs> right there about a guy that just kind of willed himself in, in, into that discussion, waited his turn, patient. Uh, you know, a lot of guys that were in his situation um, maybe would have looked to transfer earlier in their career. He, he was playing behind some guys and uh, just bided his time. And, and when that opportunity came, man, he just ran with it. I, my only regret there is that we didn't get to see more of it. Right. Uh, you know, because it, it feels like kind of a shooting star type deal. <laughs> you know, the comment that comes around. Uh, every once in a while, but uh, that kid's made a great uh, future for himself um, based on what he's shown at Pro Day and, and, and what he'll do at various combines. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. The bottom line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel, and our good friend Jeff Drummond from Rivals.com. Let's get to your beloved Cincinnati Reds. I said your, they're not mine, they're yours. Let's say oh. we're let's say we're back in that sports book in Vegas, Drummond. You and me, we got a lot of stories how we got there. We look up at the board few days ago. It's probably still about the same now. The Cincinnati Reds, 81.5 total wins for the season. Jeff Drummond, over or under 81.5 wins for this team this season? Well, if you ask me on opening day. <laughs> well, let's go back to going, opening day. Let's say it is opening day. Here we go. Everybody's got the fever. I was going way under. <laughs> on open, having seen what happened on yes. opening day, after, after watching them uh, yesterday, I'm a little more uh, optimistic, but I think you know, those guys out in the desert, they know what they're doing. And I think they set that number at a pretty pretty good spot for, for, for these Reds. And if they can get to 80, um, I would be a little bit surprised based on the fact that there are some holes on, on this roster. And they somehow incredibly went the offseason without, you know, bringing in a, a legit shortstop. <laughs> That that has to be a huge red flag, and they've got to see if some of these arms pan out in the starting rotation to to make up for losing a guy like Trevor Bauer. Um, but but I think eighty is fair. Where you know you probably go slightly under at this point. Yeah, when you when your rotation two, three, and four is Malley, Hoffman, and Miley. I mean, who are these guys, and what are they doing starting two, three, and four in your starting rotation? If you're trying to be you know a competing team. I understand Sonny Gray is injured right now. I understand you lost Trevor Bauer, but it's hard to go into a season and have expectations of winning when you've got three unproven starters sitting at two, three, and four in your rotation. And I don't even believe in this bullpen. I don't even know who the closer is. Amir Garrett, 
uh, according to our friend Alan Stein, who's a Reds expert here at ESPN Radio, he said he just proclaimed himself the starter, uh, the closer, excuse me, and that's why he is the closer. What's going to happen with this bullpen once they get into the dog days this summer? Well, that's anybody's guess. Uh, you know, at this point, uh, I, I like Garrett. I, I, I think he's got a lot of talent, but there's it's a it's a different deal when you're the man. You know, the closer all the time, and and not just here and there, like he's been in in, in the past. And we've got to see if he can handle that day in day out grind of of the job of from a mental standpoint as, as much as anything and um, whether he's got that kind of focus because he, he's a little bit of an emotional guy as <laughs> we've seen in the past. Heck, we're already, you know, brawling in game two of the season. Apparently he was in part of that second little skirmish. Of course that he was, yes. in, in the outfield yesterday. So let's mix it up. I, I don't know all the time if you're looking for that kind of fire from, from your closer. Um, but, um, We'll see what happens with it. Uh, uh, that 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 kind of energy can sometimes backfire. I think. You say this is not an eighty-one and a half win team. So who wins this National League Central Division? Cardinals, Brewers, Cubs. Don't even count the Pirates. But of those four teams, who do we have? Uh, division is terrible to begin with. <laughs> right. Let's just, just be be blunt about it. Um, I've seen some people pose the question: if you if you formed an All Star team from the NL Central. And played a seven-game series with the the Dodgers, you know who would win, and and that's almost an absurd thing to say in any other year. But this year, people are making a case for how it would be a pretty good series, uh, more than likely. I'd I'd have to lean towards the Cardinals just based on they've been there, done that, you know, and they always seem to find they they lose guys, they have guys age and, and move out of the organization, but in in walks another guy. Uh, some no name you've ever never heard of uh, to perform well, and it's a tribute to to that system. Uh, you know the organization. It's a, it's a model organization. As much as I, <laughs> I hate to say it as right. a Reds fan, I would I would probably give the nod uh, to those guys. Uh, but whoever wins that may not be too much over that that eighty mark that we talked about with the Reds. You know the over under. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, five hundred team could could end up winning that division. You're right. You're right. We got the Brewers. We uh, we'll take another bucket of pride with you on the Brewers over the Cardinals in that division. Jeff Drummond, we're out of time. It always uh, is good to catch up with you. Tell us where we can find you and your work, and where we can find you on social media, my friend. We're on the Rivals Network, Cats Illustrated. You can you can get there. The easiest way is just Kentucky.Rivals.com. And um, on Twitter, it's at JDrumUK. He's as good as it gets when you're trying to look for information, whether it's just sports in general or anything involving Kentucky. He's our good friend from a long time ago, and he's still our friend today. He's Jeff Drummond. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us here on The Bottom Line. We appreciate it. Oh, anytime, Brad. Thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. That's Jeff Drummond of the Rivals.com network. He's a good guy and a good friend, and uh, we've known him for a long time now. So. Yeah, he's got great stuff. He does the best work in town uh, for recruiting and covering Kentucky sports. He's as good as it gets. We could not recommend following and paying attention to anybody more than our good friend Jeff Drummond. And we thank him for uh, joining us here in the bottom line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel. Coming up after the break, we'll get you ready for the day on ESPN Radio and the Angelo Show coming up at the top of the hour right here. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. 
ESPN Radio, 1,392.5. The Bottom Line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel. Just remember, Damone, anytime you get a girl in a car, make sure to put on side two of Led Zeppelin 4. Fast times are on high. Look it up, kids. Coming up today on ESPN Radio, top of the hour, Angelo show. I'm sure he'll have a lot on the uh, Sweet 16 of high school basketball that took place across the street here at Rupp Arena this week. Uh, at 1240, Cardinals and Reds from Cincinnati. Carlos Martinez versus Jeff Hoffman. Your guess is good as mine on this one. Two mystery starting pitchers. Both teams uh, very upset after yesterday. Good luck uh, on that one if you're going to try to prognosticate it. Uh, we won't. 5.30 today, the Women's National Championship. Arizona versus Stanford. Okay, I have no gambling information or smart aleck comment on that one. Other than it's the Pac-12 battle. Uh, Bill Walton is thrilled for the Conference of Champions, but you can listen to that today, 5.30. And, of course, don't forget the National Championship game tomorrow night here on ESPN Radio. Thanks again for listening to The Bottom Line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel, sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Feel free to email us anytime, bottomlinelex at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at bottomlinelex. And as always, especially for your National Championship game tomorrow night, we'll take Baylor and the points. Don't tell anybody. May the winners be yours.